Hi, I want to welcome you to Growing Nimble Families, where we encourage the celebration of school-aged kids. My name is Melitza. I hope this show is a place where mothers like you can safely explore a slower, simpler and playful lifestyle so that you can get to the heart of what your family needs to thrive both now and in the years to come. Today's interview is full of lots of practical goodies about a subject that can seem really hard to teach and share. Being able to see things from another person's perspective is easy when you are the third party, but as a parent, I've witnessed countless times the interaction of one or two of the kids with another one and thought it was justified to do whatever the thing it was of the day to their brother. And I could see it, but they couldn't. Our guest today, Dr. Michelle Borba, talks about how to help our kids tap into empathy. We talk about social and emotional learning and its value both now in schools and as adults. The empathy advantage, how to talk about empathy with school-age kids, and what's the most important thing to know about empathy for us as parents. I really love how practical she is and how she's made things, and we can try these things out today. Let's get started. Today I'm talking to Dr. Michelle Borber. She is an internationally renowned educator, award-winning author, and parenting child and bullying expert, recognized for her solution-based strategies to strengthen children's empathy, social emotional intelligence and character, and reduce peer cruelty. She's published many, many books, and the one that we're looking at today is Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm just so looking forward to this and chatting. Excellent. Um, your book is titled Unselfie, and you talk about something called the selfie syndrome. What's the selfie syndrome, and what's causing it? Uh, well, first of all, selfie when children are focused on themselves and not others. What we want to do is raise a child who's an unselfie, so they flip that lens and start looking at children and not just viewing themselves. The selfie syndrome started, uh, we began to see a trend, particularly around the year 2000. But what the selfie syndrome is, is a slow, steady rise of self-absorption or narcissism. And we're actually tracking at University has been looking at thousands of incoming college freshmen in the United States, and they've been giving them the same little inventory of just a few questions. And what they found is that narcissism, or feeling I'm the best, has risen 58% in just the last 30 years, while empathy, the ability to feel with others, which is really the groundwork for civilization, respect, and kindness, has dropped 40%. And that should be a wake-up call for every parent across the world going, hey, something is amiss here because empathy is something our kids are hardwired for and can be cultivated. As for what's causing it, uh, that was my big concern. And over 10 years, I've been researching it. And I found that there wasn't just one thing, but there was a, a number of toxins that were decreasing our kids' empathy. One of them is... Uh, that thing of uh, electronic addiction, the more we keep looking at screens and our kids keep wanting to and preferring to text and talk, they're actually reducing their ability to learn emotional identification. Oh, he looks sad and she looks upset. And that's the gateway to empathy. 
you got to be able to read how another person is feeling or how they're sounding or their body language, what it's telling in order for them to be comforting. Our, our discipline, research says, isn't necessarily one that increases empathy. If it's too quick-faced or just a timeout and, and doesn't get that key question, so what you do wrong and what are you going to do next time to turn that around and I'm disappointed in that behavior, what it actually does is rob empathy because we're not cultivating it. Uh, I think another one is that all of our role models these days, our kids are relying more and more on celebrity-driven role models. In fact, we've proved it. We asked children just 10 years ago, when you grow up, what do you want to be? And number one on their list was a doctor or a teacher or a helper. What's number one on their list right now? An NFL player or a celebrity. So there's just a few things. It doesn't mean that we should just put up the red flag and quit, but it does mean that we should sit and say, hey, we need to be a little more intentional about making sure we're raising good kids. Absolutely. So what would you say are the benefits then of empathy for children? Oh, let me count the ways. (laughs) First of all, it's not a soft, fluffy skill. That's what we have kind of put it into that, okay, don't worry about it. It's over on there with the, the important stuff that's on the other side of the support card. Uh, there's tremendous advantages, and I call it the empathy advantage. Number one is employment. Uh, Harvard Business Review has listed empathy as one of the top five ways your child is most likely to get employed these days. They're not looking for an SAT score. They're looking for can the kid take the perspective of others. Popularity. Do you want your child to be well-liked and have friends? One of the top uh, ways that your child will be more well-liked is perspective-taking, the ability to feel with others. How about health, living a long life? Uh, They've actually tracked kids from little kids all the way up for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and they've decided that the healthier kids are actually the ones who have empathy because relationships are the benchmark to to mental health and well-being. There's so many uh, wonderful uh, advantages to it. I think we just need to make sure that we're putting it on our parenting agendas, and there's so many simple ways. And I, I wrote on Selfie, my goal was to look at the best research that says this is proven, that we can make a difference, and then list over 300 ways that we can that don't cost a dime, but we can just weave them in. I'm going further now with the concept. You said that it's a soft, it's not a soft skill, but we've been saying that. And I have three boys and I I see that you have three boys as well. And Mm -hmm. that the dynamic is certainly different in my home when it comes to talking about and expressing feelings, you know, less talk, more action. That's what my boys want to do. Kindness and empathy can feel like it's a, a hard labor if you have boys. Can you share some ideas that parents can use to encourage boys to flex their empathy skills? Well, I'm so glad somebody else has three boys because I can't figure out how you get the girl. But in any case, I'm flighted with my three boys. The first mistake we seem to be doing as moms of sons is we don't talk at a much younger level about feelings to our sons. They've actually put this is going to go guilt to every mom of a boy. But I read this and went, oh, my gosh. They put video cameras in front of uh, moms with daughters. And sons, and we're talking toddlers, little, little ones. And then they just recorded us watching us discuss, just talk to our daughters and talk to our sons. We talk far more feelings with our daughters. We're talking at one and two years of age than we do with our sons. So 
we already discovered that there's a pink-blue divide. That By the time our kids go off to kindergarten, there's a huge spread of girls being far more sophisticated in emotions because we've been talking emotions to our son, to our daughter. So first step is just talk naturally. Not that, okay, it's 6 o'clock, let's sit down and talk about feelings, but let's find a way to weave it in. Oh, how would you feel if that happened to you? Look at that little boy over there. Look at his face. He's sitting in the sandbox. What's his face look like? It does look lonely. What can you do to make him feel better? You're watching Inside Out or you're watching any Dumbo with your child. Talk feelings. Talk feelings a lot more. When your little ones are you're reading, when Sally gets mad, really, really mad, or any of those glorious children's literature selections, make your face look like Sally. Oh, it does look mad. Now make your face look like Sally's face on this page. It does look sad. What you're doing is just find natural ways because the gateway to empathy is emotional literacy. And what is all the research is saying is we're not doing a good enough job with our boys, a far better job with our girls, starting at a much earlier level. Absolutely. So when we have children that are toddlers and preschoolers, we can do lots of those activities. But we have mums also that have school-aged children now, and they're thinking, yeah, when I talk to my son, I just kind of get a sigh or a look, but they don't really say very much. What types of activities might some of the school-aged mums, you know, elementary and older children, that we can do with them now? Well, first of all, a lot of our kids aren't talking feelings at a school-age level, only because it wasn't cool to talk about it when they're younger. So first of all, just naturally start talking about your own feelings instead of your child's because he may not feel comfortable doing it. But just talking, oh, gosh, I'm really frustrated. And to describe why, oh, my gosh, grandma must be really upset. You can Skype with grandma. But the first thing before you do FaceTime or Skype and with any of those phone calls is say, now watch carefully to grandma's face. You don't have to say anything, but... Have a be aware of tired, and that's when you can say, got to go, Grandma. You can just weave it in that way. Don't stop talking feelings, but do it when your child, particularly boys, we now know, are more likely to talk when they're doing something, as opposed to sitting face-to-face uh, when you're building Legos or when you're riding bikes. That's when to have those talks because they're more likely to open up instead of just sitting and, okay, let's have a heart-to-heart talk. It's going to go over like a lead balloon with a lot of kids. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine that. Um, But no, those are really good ideas of trying to find ways that we can just slip it in and they actually be able to do something about it. Yeah, and I think a big piece of that one, particularly around school age, is to keep in mind what the gold standard of – Internet safety is actually common sense media. They do the best research anywhere in the world. And they say, starting at our school-aged kids, the average school-aged child is plugged in around seven and a half hours a day. That's a combination of how many times he's texting and then emailing, then on a computer, then playing a video game, then watching TV, then, you know, plugged into his iPad. So your first step to this also is not to just talk feelings with your child, but sit and do a reality check of, How often are we as a family plugged in? And then slowly start weaning or at least create some unplugged times because your child will not be talking feelings with you or opening up and having conversations because he's been plugged in and looking down at that screen. We're raising a population of kids who are telling them to uh, 
let your feelings known by circling an emoji. And it's far deeper than that. And that's why we're robbing our kids of that. Just start finding unplugged times. I did a Dateline special that was mind-boggling because we asked three- and four-year-olds, what concerns do you have about your parents? And four-year-old little boys were saying, my daddy's always on his smartphone. It makes me feel that he likes his smartphone better than me. So maybe it starts with us modeling (laughs) putting down the phone, and then we can get our kids to start opening up. we got to reclaim face-to-face conversation with our children. Yeah, that's a really good point. What do kids really need to be happy and successful? If we as parents are the ones that are helping them to be able to do these things, what would you say? Well, number one is our relationship with us. Don't undermine your own power. We do know that we make an enormous difference. So it's those conversations with your child and making sure that you're still there and you're present emotionally. Uh, starting at a very early age, you can make one little rule in your house, and this is just a fun one from Unselfie. I just came up with simple little ideas that are just become little rituals and routines. Always look at the color of the child's eyes. When you do that, as starting at age two, it helps the child recognize that mom or dad exists and the other person exists, and it also helps them learn not only eye contact, which is a critical first step to social skills, and that's going to boost your child's happiness like you can't believe. Uh, just having friends is an enormous happiness factor booster. But the other thing, it helps your child learn assertiveness. And it helps your child be less likely to be bullied. When we look at thousands of hours of footage of kids who are most likely to be bullied, we find that rewinding it and looking at the tape, it's not what the, how they dressed or what they said, but how they stood. Strong body language is critical, and when you always look at the color of the talker's eyes, you're actually holding your head up, and it helps your child just learn the first step to confidence, which is strong body language. Another thing is just having a uh, a standing of what you stand for as a family. A simple little thing which will help your child have happiness because the rest of his life he's going to have a stronger relationship with the family of what you are all about sit down with your family, this would be chapter two, and just pull out the poster boards and say, what do we want to be remembered for as a family? What do we stand for most? And then you just spend time that evening just discussing our family mantra or what are our beliefs and come down with one little sticky line, like we're the caring Perlin family, or we always help, we don't hurt, or we step in, we, we, or we speak out. And it becomes a sticky mantra. I interviewed about 500 kids when I was writing on Selfie, and they were all kids that were just nominated by their teachers as being kids who were leaders or kids who were empathetic. And I'd always ask the child, how'd you, come, how'd you become that way? And they all said it was how I was raised. And I'd say, well, how were you raised? And they all said, well, we sat down and we figured out what we stood for as a family, and my parents constantly reminded us uh, that's what we were and that's what we stood for. One girl said, when I went away to college, it was the one thing that my grandma needle pointed me as a pillow. We're the caring Perlin family. It's the only thing I wanted to bring with me. My mom said it to me so often that I became it. So I developed this caring mindset. And as a result, what happens is we now know the research says our children become, yes, more popular, but they're also less wishy-washy. They're able to stand up for their beliefs and they're happier kids. 
Oh, that's perfect. I have a, a funny story that goes along with that first statement that you made about eye color. I have one of my children is quite shy at looking at people when they're talking to him. And he has always had this struggle and we've always tried to encourage him to, to look up. And we went on a family trip recently and I was listening to your book along the way and it, you came to that part where you'd said that bit. <laughs> And I remember walking down the corridor and I was like, hey, hey, come over here. And then I you know, paused it and I was talking to him and I said, you know, you should try this. And at that very moment, we were going to breakfast. And so the lady came over to take our order and he tried it. And he was, he was so happy that he could do oh, it. Oh. And so I was just like, wow, you know, he actually did it and he felt happier talking to somebody because he was looking at the color of their eyes and afterwards he told me these types of conversations don't come easy for him to have but he's been trying to do that whenever he's speaking to someone to make sure that he can now tell you what color their eyes were and then lengthen that amount of time that he can actually look in their eyes oh i i am so happy with that you know here's another tip that you can keep in mind uh and that what your child is doing is developing a habit And habits come with practice. And the big mistake we do is that we say, okay, I taught him that yesterday and he's not doing it today. Well, your child already realizes that i got to keep working on it. i got to keep practicing it. And if you do it at least 21 days, it's more likely to be a lifelong habit. So you're better off to choose any of the skills, and there's dozens of them in Unselby, but choose one, pass it on to your child, work on it as a family, and keep reviewing it over and over again. And what happens is... It becomes instilled, so now your child can practice it all on his own. For kids who are really shy, that's threatening, so you can give them another little clue, and that is, I know it's hard sometimes to look at the, their eye, to look at the bridge of their nose right in the middle. Mm-hmm. It'll make you feel safer. I, I used to teach special education, and I had a couple of kids who were so threatened by that, and they'd always come, I'm looking at the bridge of their nose, and it's more about <laughs> good for you. <laughs> that's, that's so great because it's the groundwork for you start that, yes. and then it's the ground seeds for relationships, and your child also learned the boomerang effect. And that is, once you look at the, ch- the person and you smile, they're most likely to smile back, and then you smile back instead, and it just becomes this wonderful, wonderful habit. There's another one that's so simple in the book that you may have found. It's called the two-kind rule. My yes. girlfriend tried this when her kids were three. She sat down and she said, I want them to be smart, but I also want them to be kind. And I know you have to practice kindness. She made one rule, which was the two kind rule. Every day you walk out the door, you are to say or do at least two kind things to somebody. And we're talking simple things like smile or hold the door open for somebody or ask them how you're doing or say hello. And she kept adding to a list on the refrigerator there's nothing but a big piece of chart paper of ways to be kind and what happened is at nighttime the kids would come back and sit down and say here's what i did and here's what the person did back and oh mom it made me feel so good well she's been doing it for 30 years she's got three of the kindest girls you could possibly imagine they're very smart but they're also very kind because she just made that one simple little rule and they kept practicing it Oh, that's perfect. I love the way that you said that we should keep repeating these things until they become a habit. So many times we can get disconnected and want to do this one little thing as a hack and say, like, I'm going to try it for five minutes. And and then we get upset that it doesn't work, that it's just a very simple thing over a long time with great results. I'm so glad you picked that up because what I discovered is that empathy is really made up of habits. 
And one little thing I remember my own story was I was viewing schools all over the world. I, I spent almost a million miles flying around the world. Wow. I wrote this book over a 10-year period. It was unbelievable. But one of the best stories was way far up in Fort McMurray, Canada. And the superintendent said, you've got to go in this classroom and sit down and watch them teach emotional literacy. So I walked in, sat down at the end of a great big green rug, and all the kids started giving me directions on their teacher was coming, so stay really still because he startles really fast and he cries really easily, and I was getting very concerned about this teacher when the door <laughs> opens and in walks a mom with her baby. So she puts the baby in the middle of the green rug, and I sit and I watch in the next 30 minutes the most brilliant lesson on emotional literacy. The teacher was the baby. She comes in every six weeks, and the kids have sort of adopted the baby. There's always a mother about ready to deliver, right? So you adopt <laughs> the baby for the, for the year, and the real adult teacher says, how does Clara seem to feel today? And the kids zero in. Oh, she looks, these are third grade, she looks frustrated. Why does she look frustrated? Because her hands are in a fist. So what should we do? And all the kids say, we should sing a real quiet lullaby to make her happy. So they start to sing this lullaby. The little guy next to me kind of kicks me and goes, Clara's learning empathy. <laughs> and I'm looking at the kid and going, it isn't just Clara. I think you guys are too. So then I asked this child, why do you think this works? And I'll never forget it. This little third grader turns and goes, well, it's because empathy is a verb. I said, what does that mean? He goes, you got to feel it and see it and witness it in order to get it. It's not a lecture or a poster or a word of the month. And I went, amen. Yes. It's what we really need to do is expose our children to just real meaningful opportunities for little ones. It could be the puppy. How does the puppy feel today? Oh, his tail is wagging. Yeah, he does look happy. And then let's walk. Let's go on a walk. Oh, look at that man! I wonder how he's feeling. How do you know he looks upset? You're just using real, meaningful opportunities. And what happens is our plugged-in generation starts to look up and focus on others, and we start slowly helping our kids think we, not me. Yeah. Can you talk to the parent who, as they've been listening today, realizes that their focus has been on boosting achievement and self-esteem as probably one of their only ways that they think that success and happiness will happen in their family. And they realize that they haven't actively been working on teaching kindness type activities like you've described. Where, what can they do to start this new habit? Well, I love this question because your first step to it is realizing that you want to start addressing the other side of the report card. So step one is you've already made the step. You say, I need to change. Now, step two is you realize you don't do this with a program. It's not an app and it's not hiring a tutor. It's just weaving it in. It could be like the two kind rule, but here's another one that's really simple. And that is uh, when your child comes home from school, what's the first thing out of your mouth? It's usually what you get. How about what kind of thing did you do? A fascinating study happened with Harvard, and they polled 20,000 kids and, t and parents, asking them that exact same question. What matters most to your parents? And the top of every kid's list was the grade or that I'm happy. What, at the bottom of the list, the care. So then they asked parents, and every parent had their mouth open, and they turned absolutely white going, but it does matter. I want my child to be a kind kid. The problem was our messages aren't getting through to our kids. Mm -hmm. So 
Tune up your own message. Model it yourself. Ask yourself every night, if my child had only my behavior to watch, what would he have caught? When we look at people who are very kind-hearted, and they've done this, they've interviewed thousands of people all over the world who are considered to be altruists, just the most generous, good people you could possibly imagine. And when we asked, how did you get that way? They all said it was how I was raised. How were you raised? I just watched my dad or mom. They were always kind, or my dad said, in this family, we expect you to be kind. It doesn't mean that we also don't expect the child to get good grades, but let's also take a moment to realize the other side of the report card matters as well. Uh, there's a scathing article, front page of Time Magazine this week, on we have never seen a more stressed out generation on record. Our kids are going away to college in heightened levels of depression because the only thing that they've been raised for is the grade. And so now they're scared to death of getting their first B+. What we have got to do is help our children. Chapter 6 in the book is self-regulation, learn how to reduce stress. That has a lot to do with empathy because when your stress builds, your empathy goes down. You can't feel for others when you're in stressed-out mode. Yeah. Uh, there's also ways to just find how to help your child just be a little change maker. What just ignites your child's passion? The simplest idea is put a box by your front door and just call it your charity box or your giving box. And you just as a family say, if there's a gently used toy or you're all done with that game or you never want to use that backpack again and it's still good, then put it in a box. And when the box is all filled, every time the box is filled, we're going to deliver it to a needy family. Well, many children have said it's that delivering it to the needy family and the look on that other child's eyes that said, I want to keep making a difference. I didn't realize how much I could make somebody else happy. That's the piece. We're just trying to make our kids happy when real happiness comes from actually giving. It's the flip around. So many good things in there. So what is the single most important thing that you wish parents knew about empathy? That it can be cultivated. I have, I do thousands of speeches all over the world. And when I do a parent session, when I mention that one concept that our kids are hardwired for it, but unless we cultivate it, it'll lie dormant. A lot of parents are just sitting there hearing something like the, for the first time. I think that we think it's all part of our kids' DNA, that that kid's going to be the kind kid and that kid's not. Kids show empathy in different ways. Our boys show it a little differently than maybe our girls. The bottom line is many of our kids are in sleep mode with empathy because we've been really cultivating the other side of the report card, the grades, the grit, and we're forgetting that empathy, kindness, and respect are key to happiness. And they're very simple to be able to cultivate if we're just a little more intentional about it. And Selfie's going to have dozens of ideas. But I love the best idea you did, just find one idea, like always look at the color of the talker's eyes, and then keep practicing it over and over until it becomes a habit. Then you add the next and the next and the next. Today I've been talking to Dr. Michelle Borber, internationally renowned educational psychologist and an expert in parenting, bullying and character development, all about her book, Unselfie. Thank you for being on the show today and giving such great practical ideas. Oh, you are so welcome. If anybody's interested, my website is michelleborba.com. I've got one L in it, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-B-O-R-B-A. But I just also put up a book discussion guide for parents 
to either as they're reading on selfie or reading it with their partner or reading it with a group of friends as a book club guide. Uh, just simple ideas, or you can put it on your own website if you're interested. But I think we just need to have more conversations about how to raise good kids. That's brilliant. I'll be sure to add that um, onto the show notes. That'll be a great thing for everybody to be able to use. Make sure to share your thoughts with us about this episode on social media using the hashtag Growing Nimble Family School Age Kids. That's G-N-F-S-A-K. And make sure to tag our accounts. Dr. Borba's account is at Michelle Borba. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter as at Nimble Families and on Facebook as Raising School Age Kids. Or share your ideas about this episode and any of the episodes we've had in our Facebook group, The Society of Nimble Parents. Be sure to see the show notes with links to Dr. Borba and the things that we've mentioned in the show. Go to growingnimblefamilies.com forward slash 212, that show 212. Please continue to share the love for the podcast by sharing with your friends, texting those who you think they should listen, or maybe even taking a screenshot of the podcast episode that you're listening and sharing it. If you listen on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or or Google Play, please consider leaving a review. So thanks for being here today. I know there are many things you could be doing right now and I'm glad that you've chosen to be here today. See you again next time. Goodbye.